All right. Good morning, everyone. On behalf of Main Street, Alabama, I want to take this opportunity to welcome everyone to today's webinar. I'm Tanya Maloney. I'm brand new to Main Street, Alabama, but not new to Main Street um, in general. I am the former director of Heflin Main Street, now a new field service specialist for Main Street, Alabama. Started Monday. Um, at Main Street, Alabama, our mission statement is to serve as the state's premier resource to transform downtowns and commercial districts by creating economic opportunities and enhancing community character. In part, the way we do this is through cultivating partnerships with experts around the country that can help educate and strengthen our businesses in our districts. One such expert is in our backyard here with five plan partners. Um, today we have Greg Powell on the phone and, uh, his, his colleagues at five plan partners, but today I'm introducing Greg, um, as president and CEO of five plan partners, Greg Powell advises organizations, families, and individuals who wish to enhance and preserve their wealth. Greg is the creator of your financial house a nationally acclaimed management tool he created, which gives clients an insightful and enjoyable experience of being of bringing all aspects of their financial life under one roof. Referred to as the builder, Greg oversees the building of your financial house, just like the builder who builds your home. In 2002, Greg was one of five investment professionals that Research Magazine inducted into the Advisors Hall of Fame, an honor reserved for those who are, according to the editors, judged by their clients, their colleagues, and by industry notables as representing the very best in the industry that the industry has to offer. He's a member of the National Board of Directors for the National Federation of Independent Business and is a member and former chairman of the Board of Directors for the NFIB in Alabama. Okay, with that, I'm going to step back and let Greg take it from here. Just a quick thank you again to Greg and Felicia and the team at Five Plan Partners for putting together this awesome event today. I look forward to participating. Tanya, thank you so much. Uh, it's always an honor to work with you. Uh, you do an awesome job. We've uh, this is you've already done uh, one webinar with us, and we were thrilled to hear you were going to join us again. So thank you. That's a that's a huge compliment that you want to hear us twice. So, <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, you know, any anytime we can have repeat participation, we're thrilled with that. So also, we uh, are very appreciative of Main Street Alabama. Uh, Mary Helmer and everyone at Main Street Alabama have just been great to us. And they also have the same passion that we have, and that is to help business owners. Uh, small business owners especially are the backbone of this country. And through all that we've been through, uh, through COVID uh, and all the economic and market situations that have occurred here, uh, it's been challenging times and any information and knowledge that we can bring to the table, we're thrilled with that. Now, I have a lot of Gregisms. Uh, this group that's on here would tell you that. They're like, oh no, another Gregism. <laughs> one, one of mine is that the key to success is not the statements you make, but the questions you ask. And we're going to speak for about 45 minutes, give or take a little bit. And then we're going to open it up for questions. And we want you to ask us a lot of questions. Uh, there's only so much time in a day, 24 hours last time I checked. And we will be with you for approximately an hour, hour and a half. 
And in that, that's an hour to an hour and a half of your life you'll never get back. And so we want to make sure that it's valuable information that we bring to you. So to start us off, and I want to thank Felicia Ludlam, who is our Director of Business Integration at Five Plan Partners. If you even think the rest of us from Five Plan had any way of putting this together in terms of the technology, organization, uh, the planning of the agenda, I'm telling you, uh, Felicia Ludlam's who you need to be talking to, and especially when it comes to me. So with that said, Felicia, I think we have some questions that we, we would like our audience to participate in. We do. So you're there by your laptop. Here's our first question, and we want you to click on it. Survey says, this is anonymous. So in what area did COVID, excuse me, in what area did COVID most challenge your business in 2020? Person, personnel and staffing, sales, net income, overall financials, logistics, supply chain, expansion plans. Click on one of those and then we're going to give you the results from our, from our group. They are 100% anonymous. So I can't tell who clicked on what. Correct. But we always enjoy asking these questions. Great, very insightful. So here we are, look at this. Personnel and staffing, 17%. Sales net income, overall financials, 50%. Logistics supply chain, 17%, and expansion plans, 17%. Wow, that's, uh, that's great insight. Our next question that we'd like to ask is, in what area do you think the experience of 2020 will most improve your business? Let's find the silver linings. Products and or services offered, technology, uh, or adapt, adopting different processes or strategies. Pick one of those. Give us some insight. We didn't want to be the only ones sharing wisdom today. And here we are. Wow, 50-50. Technology, uh, definitely, and adopting different processes or strategies. Uh, products and our services offered, well, zero. That's very insightful. So with that in mind, I'm going to start talking here. And you say, okay, five plan partners, let's, what, what do we have here? So I'm gonna give you a little background information. And the reason I'm talking about this is, is that here's what's happened. We've had 10 years, 10 years crammed into one year called 2020. There were forecasts that we would one day in 2030 be having meetings like this, virtual meetings. And look at us, all of it came together. We've got business models rapidly changing. And that's what I'm going to be addressing. And my colleagues will address other topics that apply to you as business owners. But one of the things we want to emphasize is that a business owner, your personal and professional life merge together. You don't know the difference. And on top of that, that business is key to your net worth. It is key to your livelihood. It is key to your participation in the community. And with that said, what we want to emphasize here today is to give you solutions as well as where you ask additional questions on what do I need to be doing in these changing times? You know, let me say this. 
if I, you know, in terms of voting today, technology to me is moving faster than ever. We at Five Plan Partners have a philosophy of high tech, high touch, which I'll talk about. But in that, you've got to have a business today that will not only utilize technology, but it also will give in that high touch or fact, the human factor, that interaction, establishing relationships, communication. You know, give you an example of that. Suppose you're the local pharmacy. In the past, you've dealt with saying, okay, CVS and Walgreens are my competitors. Maybe Walmart, uh, maybe a Target. Well, guess what? Amazon has a new service called Pill Pocket. They will fill your prescriptions and deliver those to your doorstep anywhere you are. Well, that's a huge change. It's why Walmart is changing its business model to compete against an Amazon. The point we want to make is, is that retail sales, for example, they were up fourth quarter of last year. Now you go, wait a second, Greg, stores are closing. That's correct. Those stores of business models who are going out of existence. That's the problem. And psychologically, we see those closings, but the reality of it is those companies that provide the services with technology and that high touch are the ones going forward that are going to succeed. You go, Greg, wait a second here. How does this apply to me? Well, let me tell you my own story and let me tell you about this team. So in 2004, I was with a major investment firm, happy, 17 years. Sitting in my desk doing analysis, we have a process, they are a red flag list. And as I went down, I'm like, wait a sec, this isn't good. I'll do my research again on the same company. I double checked myself. Guess what? It was time to not only sell out of that company stock, but it also was time to realize the whole business model was going to change. The problem was it was the stock of the investment firm I was sitting in their offices. I didn't leave that firm to start Five Plan Partners because I was unhappy. I left because the business model was going to change. That was in 2004, February 18th of 2005. And yes, I am proud to tell you we're getting ready this week to celebrate 16 years of being in business. 16 years going through historic times, whether it was the 07, 08 financial downturn. And let me make this point. I was with a financial institution, an investment firm. The point I'm making is the business model changed. I didn't figure out the whole country might come down, but I did figure out that that model was going to change. And we had to take action to protect our clients and to move forward with the changing times. That's where this chart comes in that you have in front of you. I introduced a model that I designed called the Democratized Family Office. And having studied the super wealthy, $100 million and up, I came to the conclusion that business owners like you need those same services as families that have $100 million and up. What's a family office? It's a group of professionals like you're going to see here in the next few minutes of experts who help a family not only in creating their wealth, but also in keeping their wealth and working with generations to come. The democratize means that we work with people that aren't super wealthy. We work with business owners, which is our specialty, in which we are able to provide services that allow them to separate their personal lives from their professional lives and see the true value in their businesses. 
So if you follow me around the diagram here, you'll see financial planning. In a few minutes, you're going to, to hear from our director of financial planning, Jay McGowan. You will see that we do high-end planning and we have a unique process called Your Financial House. Think about this. The foundation of your business, the foundation of your life, the foundation of your money. If you were building a house, the foundation of that house and building it, would you give your money to a builder who said, you know what, I have enough, I have enough ideas from you, I don't need a blueprint to build your house. Well, you wouldn't. And also from the standpoint today, we have a lot of people running around in the industry saying I give financial advice, uh, financial services, but the reality of it is they're like builders not utilizing a blueprint. It's a requirement for us to work with business owners to do a financial blueprint for them and look at their lives throughout through age 100 and do worst case planning. So when an 07 downturn occurs or a COVID scenario occurs, they still are ahead of the game because we've already done stress test. Portfolio strategies then are tied to the financial blueprint. You'll hear this again in this presentation. It may very well be that the greatest risk you have is the business you, you own, that you run. Do you need to be in, uh, taking more risk in the markets when, you, when you've got a growth factor and a risk factor in your business? We manage the money you know, institutionally and then use institutional strategies tied to the financial blueprint to see to it that we're on track and hold ourselves accountable and you've got the information to know you are on track or what decisions you need to make. Business consulting is where then, again, we're separating personal and professional lives, but also opening your eyes to the hard assets that you have in your net worth. It may be a business, it may be timberland, farmland, it may be commercial properties, rental properties, the lake house, the mountain place, all of those, are then considered, and that's where our model is totally different. So many of these financial firms, when you go to them, they are product driven. And unless you're going into a product, they don't get paid. We are advice driven. And I wanna emphasize that, that our model that we came up with allows us to provide advice to people which they are seeking out. In terms of personalized services, you need to refinance that house you need to refinance that business loan. We have different relationships that we can introduce you to. And we've already done the planning and analysis of your business so that we can help you with those and introduce you to those financial institutions to walk you through it. It may very well be you just need to have money wired somewhere. And there's other services that we provide. Insurance services. So often business owners go, well, you know, I went to church with this person and I needed some new insurance, so I just bought some. Or I got someone to tell me that I needed insurance and it's an investment strategy. Here at Five Plan Partners, we utilize insurance the way it's supposed to be used uh, in all aspects and we coordinate that. And that ties then into coordination with professionals. Coordinating the, coordinating the professionals, your CPA. You know, in other words, we don't do tax returns. And we have CPAs on staff, but we're doing it from a financial planning standpoint and seeing what tax strategies are being provided by the CPA. And are there any additional things that you could be doing in your portfolio, in your business to take advantage of those opportunities? 
corporate attorneys, same way. And then, it, you know, and also from the standpoint, from the standpoint of uh, a state attorney, so often business owners are so busy trying to grow their business. They don't coordinate the estate work. And then if the unexpected happens, we're, we, we see spouses referred to us going, I had no idea how the business was run. I had no idea about our financials. What we do at Five Plan Partners and in this democratized family office is that we take your information and we do the flow charts that have been, that you have done for estate work. Or you, maybe you don't have it. Maybe your, your will, your durable power of attorney, your medical durable power of attorney hasn't been updated in a while or you never completed it. You know, and so from that standpoint, we want to understand if the unexpected happens, how do you preserve that business? How do you preserve, you know, the other net worth that you have? And so we coordinate all that in case of the unexpected. You know, and I can tell story after story on that. The high tech, high touch then is where you see us, you know, walk our talk and practice what we're sharing with you today in that technology and the way we communicate is, it's very important to us. It's imperative that we're in touch with you in multiple ways. You know, clients can look at their accounts 24 seven with us. They can look at their financial blueprints 24 seven from the standpoint, we're constantly doing these kind of virtual meetings, whether one-on-one or in a group setting like today. We also do vlogs, videos that we send out to our clients and all the professionals in which on Mondays, we do portfolio strategies. On Tuesdays, we do research. On Thursdays, we do educational vlogs on topics that our clients have voiced to us. I really would like to have more information about that. And that doesn't even begin to include from the standpoint, all the social media, the articles, the information that we provide through Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and other sources, as well as my book, Better, Richer, Fuller, which is a way to know our your financial house process and how we go through and the questions you need to be asking as a business owner to make sure that your whole financial blueprint, your life is lined up to become better, richer, fuller, throughout your lifetime. So with that, that was just a whole business model change. And we're the only democratized family office in the nation. I would love to have communication with each of you here on this video in this virtual meeting in which we talk about how's your business model changing? What are the threats? Those of you that, that voted or said technology uh, is key, that, that we totally agree with that. I mean, think about things that how they have changed due to technology. You know, people remember 2007 because of the financial downturn. The reality of it is that's when the Apple phone was introduced. That was life changing. And so from the standpoint, we're looking to see what are those things that are going to change your business model. Next, what you have here is our Your Financial House process. And the main reason I want to emphasize it, and I, I could walk you room through room, but here's the story to this. On a Sunday afternoon, our daughter, who now is 22, but at the time was five years old, asked me to sit in the floor and draw a house. This came from a box of Crayolas. And in that, she started telling me from the standpoint of, okay, let's look at this. 
you know, dad, let's color, draw. And I drew the triangle in square. I said, Lydia, what are we doing? She said, this, this room is for mom. This room's for our cat boots. This room is for my two sisters, which I thought it was funny. The cat, the cat got, you know, what a room to his, himself, but the, our, her sisters had to, uh, from the standpoint, share a room. But what happened in the, the course of that moment in coloring with Lydia, I realized she was telling me how her life looked, how she viewed it, and what was important to her. And so the Your Financial House process, this came from a day, a Sunday afternoon with Crayolas. It's now in the format where people tell us it changed our lives through walking through each of the rooms and the questions we needed to ask. And it also inspired my book, Better, Richer, Fuller, so that people could pass that information on to others to discuss with them how it changed their lives. I won't go into all the details because I've got great experts coming up here and I want to share that. But the point we want to make is there are things going on. There's silver linings in your industry, in your community, and in your business that you can take advantage of and make sure that you maintain the, the worth of your business as well as to grow it in the future. With that said, I, I now would like to introduce uh, Jay McGowan and Ashley uh, Page, two of my colleagues. Jay uh, is Director of Financial Planning here at File Plan Partners. Uh, he has his uh, CPA, his CFP, uh, his PFS, Personal Financial Specialist designations, and has just done an incredible job. From the standpoint of Ashley Page, who heads up our business consulting, Ashley uh, has done an incredible job working with our business owners, and you're going to see, see that here in just a few minutes. Uh, Ashley has his JD and MBA. He's got years of experience in commercial banking, commercial real estate that he brings to the table as we coordinate financial blueprints and also looking at all the assets. Before they start to speak, I have two more questions I want to ask. Here's the first question. Did your company take advantage of the PPP program? All right. Got any votes there, Felicia? We do. We have a couple more trickling in here. Okay. 67% yes. That's fantastic. 17% no. And 17% no, but I'm considering it on the next round. That's great insight. And then next, do you think there will be more or less regulations put in place that will affect your business in 2021? More, fewer, stay the same. Well, this one has a, has a sweep here. Yeah, more, 83%. Yeah, we're hearing that across the board from our business owner clients. So with that said, uh, you're getting ready to get some great insight on how we worked with business owners uh, last year in the COVID crisis uh, on PPP money. And uh, so Ashley, uh, you know, and Jay, take it from here. It's an honor to work with you, gentlemen. You too. And delighted to do it, Greg. And good morning, everybody. Uh, we're thrilled you're with us. And the first thing that I will tell you is don't feel like you've got to absorb everything in the presentation. We're delighted to answer any questions you have, both in the presentation and offline. If you want to email us, text us, or call us, uh, any of us on the team will be happy to help you. On the PPP, mostly Greg, Jay, and myself, 
we're involved with that. So feel free to reach out to us anytime because we'd be delighted to share the experience we have. Uh, as a little bit of a roadmap, the way we're going to break this up, I'm going to go first and sort of look back over the year that was, which, you know, we're almost at a year from the end of March when PP, at beginning of April when PPP started. And so I'm going to look at a little bit of postmortem on that, but I'm going to emphasize the forgiveness portion because that's the most relevant to you now. And then after we go through that, Jay is going to come back up behind me and talk about going forward some of the new congressional plans that just came out in January, how that's going to look for the owner-managed business and the individual, how the second round of PPP might look and some differences. But the first thing uh, I will tell you, uh, I've got three key points that I want to make here. But as by way of context, I will tell you of 36 years being in the financial services industry, either as a commercial lender or the last 11 years with Greg and our team here, I've never personally seen in my career an owner-managed business rescue platform that was anywhere near the scope of this. I mean, it was the SBA PPP program was huge. And I was looking over the weekend about a little bit of data that SBA has on that. I'll just quickly give you just anecdotally how large that was. So far through February the 7th, so we're talking about uh, about a week and a half ago that the SBA pulled the data. 6.5 million owner-managed businesses in the country applied for and received a PPP loan. That's a huge amount. In terms of dollars, it was $623 billion, with a B, of funding that was put in the U.S. economy aimed at owner-managed businesses, which is generally of a size from like 5 to 10 up to about 500. You know, you can have some changes with that, but that's really kind of the broadest category. That's second. Third, in looking at it, by the time some of the sausage you're making, you know, got done with and this program smoothed out, 5,500 lenders across the country participated in the program. Uh, banks of all size, credit unions of all size. So you got a lot of the financial institutions engaged. The interesting thing is because forgiveness is the primary topic, and we're going to key my part in on most of that, of that $623 billion that we put out there into the U.S. economy for owner-managed businesses, about $314 billion, or roughly half of that, has already been forgiven. So in essence, what's happened is when you applied for the loan, you got it forgiven, and it ended up being just almost a de facto injection in your capital structure. So a lot of companies long-term were made stronger by this through the pandemic. But in looking at that, Greg, Jay, and I, starting at the beginning of end of March, beginning of April, we, had, we went down two parallel paths in looking at PPP, which gave us, to Greg's point, a, a very unique perspective. One is we were working with our own owner-managed business clients like are on this broadcast directly. So we had a lot of that. And then we also do a lot of business consulting with financial institutions. So we got a lens into seeing what their commercial lending customers were doing. So we kind of got to look both work with it and look at it a couple of ways. And here sort of a year later, while we've had a chance to somewhat take our breath a little bit and look back, 
Uh, let me tell you three interesting things uh, just as perspective before we get into the forgiveness. One is we get a now we get a lot of questions and we did during the time and we certainly do now. Why was the SBA used to do this? Well, you know the old joke about climbing Mount Everest. Why do you climb it? Because it's there. We use the SBA uh, to do the PPP program because it was already there. If you see on the slide, it was a mechanism that we already had in place. It was very familiar to the lot of the lenders of that 5,500 that I told you, a lot of the companies. And think about this. And remember, if you go back to the first of the pandemic, we had to get this funding out fast. If we had created a whole new delivery vehicle to get this funding out, I think we'd still be working on that part of it. So what we had to do is we had to find something that we could somewhat, you know, massage that a lot of people were used to using to get the funding out there. So the first uh, point is, even though it wasn't perfect, that's why we used it because it was already in place and people were familiar with it. The other interesting thing is in my 36 years, as I was saying, that this PPP program is the largest. Greg mentioned it earlier. The only thing in my working history anyway that Greg's already mentioned to us was the financial crisis back in 2008. And what I wanna share with you here is that the TARP program, when we were rescuing the economy from that, most of that funding went into companies themselves on the balance sheet. It wasn't aimed at direct employment. The point we wanna make here is that the PPP program was aimed at direct employment. Why did we do that? Well, the Federal Reserve looked back on history to 2008, saw that the TARP program was successful, but they said, you know what? If we ever get in this type of problem again, whatever it is, and the pandemic, fit that bill and more, we're going to aim the process more at direct employment. Because after TARP, we kind of lost some people to the unemployment roles with that type of mechanism we never got back. A major reason we aimed the SBA PPP program at employment is that we are already recovering faster and will continue to recover faster from this because we kept people in jobs. Finally, um, you know, kind of looking at the scope of this, I, I saw this as data and kind of had one anecdotal experience myself. The SBA estimates that if you look at pretty much all 50 states and territories like Virgin Islands, anywhere state by state, from 72 to 90 percent of all small business payrolls benefited. In our own state of Alabama, it was 82 percent. That is a tremendous spreading of the wealth to owner-managed businesses. And I can tell you just quickly, uh, we saw that with our financial institution clients lending to others. We're very familiar with the client base they have. I told Jay when I got back from an a engagement in late October with one of those, and I was saying, Jay, this was even wider than we thought it was. Pretty much everybody in their lending platform was a recipient of that. So that's a background of that. And then Felicia, we'll go to the next one to show the uh, to show the forgiveness part if we can. Next slide up. Simply put, there's a lot on the side, a little bit noisy, but this is the main thing you need to know. The way you get your SBA loan forgiven is to prove out on the back end 
that you use the funds that you got the way the SBA wanted you to use it. If you don't hear anything else I say about forgiveness, that's the core of it. What the SBA wanted you to do is they wanted you to primarily use that funding to maintain your employment level, maintain your payroll. And what you needed to do initially is spend about 60% of those funds on your people, you know, keep them in jobs. You could use 40% for other things, paying your rent, paying electricity, uh, doing upgrades on your machine, any of that. But all you're doing now in the forgiveness portion is that initially when you did the S, uh, SBA PPP loan, remember you work with your lender, you work with your CPA or outside advisor, you uploaded the loan into the SBA system and it got it approved. It's working the same way in reverse. To get forgiveness, what they want you to do is to go back through and just basically say, this is what we wanted you to do. Did you do that? So there's a break point, uh, y'all, that you will look at it at about the $150,000 loan level. If you're above $150,000 to do your forgiveness, you use what's called an SBA Form 3508. But like you did when you applied, you coordinate with your lender who did that for you, fill the form out, use your CPA or outside advisor or your internal controller or CFO to put your payroll data back together to, to prove that out. And then you take that back to your lender and upload it. It's, a, it's almost the identical process of when you applied for it. For loans under 150,000, and the reason they chose this breakpoint is that 150,000 was about the average from about 150 to 200,000, where most loan sizes were. You had much smaller, much bigger, but that was the center of the bell curve. Beginning January 20th, you can use a, a short form, which is called a 3508EZ, you know, much like your 1040EZ on your tax return. And that's literally what it's called. But what's interesting about that is if you've got a loan of 150,000, it's just easier to do. You don't have to turn in nearly as much data as you do above 150,000. But what's good about it is, for the most part, the steps are the same. Uh, one with 150,000 below is just uh, a little shorter. So Felicia, we'll go to the final slide here. And this is the most important thing if you don't hear anything else on the call. Jane McGowan, who's coming up next, and Greg Powell will tell you that when we first started working with our clients on this, the rules on this were literally changing weekly as it was coming out. So the three of us really had to do a check with me type of discipline to make sure we were catching that. This was the ultimate example of an airplane being built while you were flying it. But it finally smoothed itself out. But if you're going through the forgiveness process, the very best first step is to the, go to the sba.gov website and make sure that the rules that they have now are the same. And I'll, as my final warning, just remember, I said it here, the SBA is a legislative animal. So it's subject to congressional funding where the rules can and do change. And I can tell you, we live that with our clients. But it ended up being, uh, my, I'll say this in summary, it ended up being a great program ultimately. Uh, it was uh, a little bit lurchy at first, 
there were some PR problems with it. There were mainly technology problems with it, with the upload to the SBA. But you can see the statistics by the time we got all the way through the first phase of it. There were a lot of companies in this country in the owner managed business realm, like again, like are on this call, that were helped by this. So it ended up in our mind being very successful ultimately. So with that, that's kind of the look back and where forgiveness is. And so I'll turn that over to Jay McGowan, our director of financial uh, planning to look forward with it of what's coming up from about January on. Yeah, I appreciate it, Ashley. And that was a good uh, summation of kind of what happened in 2020. <clears throat> One of the key things that you said was this thing's ever changing. And we're seeing that um, still to this day. Um, as businesses need more and more relief going into the future, um, the, the legislative bodies are getting involved continuously. Um, and so I kind of want to take a look forward real quick at some of the, um, the recent stimulus package that was introduced, um, kind of what's in that, what are the big key provisions for businesses and um, for individuals, um, just so you'll kind of understand what the, uh, what, what's, what's happening right now. Um, and that happened through the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. So that was passed, I believe it was in like December 21st of 2020, looking forward. And so with that, you know, obviously a huge piece of legislation, wanted to pick out the key details. So some of the, some of the big business provisions in there um, are meals and expenses. Me meal expenses are now 100% deductible for 2021 and 2022. Um, as long as that was for an expense that was provided by a restaurant. So previously that was 50%. Obviously this is uh, to stimulate the, the restaurant and the um, uh, entertainment industry, but it's also to give uh, business owners um, uh, an incentive to kind of take people out, get that business back flowing, uh, you know, once, especially once restrictions are lifted. Um, employer payments for student loans was extended to 2025. So um, in the past, employers can give, could give up to $5,250 a year to their employees um, as a tax-free, basically, incentive uh, to use on education, continuing education, going back to college and all that. They've actually extended that to where the employers now can give that money, pay directly to um, qualified student loans for their employees. So if you're an employer, you uh, want to give some good benefits to retain key employees, things like that. And if they have student loans, that's an option. Um, the employee retention credit was extended through 2021. There was actually some pretty big changes with this. Uh, in the past, in the first round, if you took advantage of the PPP money, you couldn't uh, take advantage of the employee retention credit. That's actually changed and you can. You can't use the same wages and expenses to determine the forgiveness or the credit but there's been some big changes through that. So um, it, typically it's up to $10,000 per quarter in wages that you can get a, a credit against the employee ta employment tax that you owe on, that, on those wages paid, paid to those employees. So there's a lot in that, um, but that one is something if you're, if you're looking at that and ways to take advantage, we'll dig a little deeper on that, we can help out. Um, and then obviously the big one is the PPP part two. Um, so it's very similar to the PPP part one that Ashley just talked about, but there are a few key changes um, that I want to go through on that. So Felicia, if you'll go to that next slide, please. Um, so, so the PPP two 
is eligible to first-time qualified buyers. So if you didn't take out PPP1, you can, you can apply for this. And also it's eligible to previous PPP recipients provided that, and this is where kind of the changes occur, you have 300 or fewer employees. In round one, the, the cutoff on that was 500. Um, there is some exceptions for the accommodation and food services industries. But in general, if you have under 300 employees, you can apply for this. Um, if you got the first round of PPP funding, you have to prove and show that you've actually used that money before you can apply for the second round. And then also, which is a little bit different, um, which is a lot different actually, is in this way, you actually have to prove causation or prove that your revenues in any quarter in 2020 were down 25% compared to the same quarter in 2019. So you actually have to show that your business was affected in 2020, which for most people, um, that's not going to be a problem, but that is something that they uh, have, have rolled out. And then um, next slide, Felicia, if you don't mind. So some of the loan terms, um, you know, the, the, the amount that you can receive in the PPP2 is still two and a half times your average monthly payroll cost. The difference in this round is that it's capped at 2 million instead of 10 million um, in the first round, um, which really doesn't affect a ton of small businesses, but that's just something to keep in mind. Um, to be, to this round for the, uh, the expenses to be, or excuse me, the, the, uh, the loans to be forgiven, you have to use, um, you have to spend at least 60% of the money on uh, eligible payroll cost over a, a covered period of eight or 24 weeks, you can decide. So that's very similar to the first round. Um, and then so under the first round, if you use your funds um, for payroll, rent, mortgage interest, utilities, things like that, um, that you could still have that, that loan forgiven. Under PPP2, they also include um, some additional expenses that you can use the funds for and still have the loans forgiven. So you'll see on the screen, some of those are covered operating expenditures. So expenses on software, cloud computing, accounting services, things like that, that you've had to spend money on to update your system to, to you know, work in this environment. If you use PPP money for that, you can, you can have those forgiven. Um, covered property damage. So obviously there was some, some, uh, some looting and vandalism and things due to public disturbances in 2020. If your business was affected by that and there's expenses that you, uh, are, that you need to incur to, to uh, update your property because of those, those P, the PPP2 money can be used on those expenses and it can be forgiven. Um, covered supplier costs. So basically anything that is critical to your business, if you're paying expenditures to suppliers, if it's critical to keep your business running, those can, the PPP money can also be used for those expenses and be um, forgiven, which is huge. Like, you know, if you're a manufacturing company, this could be raw materials. If you're a retailer, this could be inventory. Um, so you want to be careful that you work within the parameters. There's a lot of language, but that's a general concept. And then any um, covered worker protection expenses. So buying masks, um, updating your facilities, uh, to, you know, to, to modify an equipment to, uh, so people can operate into the, into the COVID environment, those expenses are also forgiven if you use, can be forgiven if you use the PPP fund. So it really opens up what you can use the PPP money on and still have those expenses forgiven. Um, and so next slide, please, Felicia. 
Um, so one thing, you know, the deductibility of these forgiven expenses. So originally in the CARES Act, um, they were very clear that if you receive PPP money and the loan is forgiven, that forgiven amount is not considered taxable income, which is different than usually when debt is forgiven. That income is considered taxable under the PPP, though they didn't want to put that burden on uh, the taxpayer, the business owner. And so, um, so that was pretty clear. What was not clear was that those expenses that you spend, um, like payroll and things like that, with the PPP money, um, originally those were considered, they may not be deductible. Um, so this round, um, the Consolidated Appropriations Act actually came out and cleared that up that not only if your PPP is forgiven, um, that's not taxable income, but you can still actually deduct the expenses. So payroll, PPE, it costs, all those things we just went over on that last slide, you can still deduct those as expenses on your tax return, um, which is huge for small business owners. That, that's a very big deal. Um, next slide, please, Felicia. So that was talking a lot about the business stuff. And I'll go through this um, real quickly because a lot of these personal provisions obviously affect your employees, affect you. And I just wanted to touch on a few of the key changes in this new uh, stimulus bill. So obviously a lot of you may have already received this, but there's a, uh, a new economic impact payment of $600 a person. Those phase out for single taxpayers over 75,000 in income. And at 150,000, they start phasing out for um, married filing joint taxpayers, but those are still coming. Um, so it, it also provides a, the, it, it extends the unemployment um, the federal unemployment assistance for, for those that are out of work and are claiming unemployment, $300 a week. It's been extended to March uh, 14th, 2021. It's looking like that's probably going to get extended again. Um, a permanent reduction of deductible medical expenses. So the hurdle rate to deduct medical expenses was 10% of your AGI. They've reduced that to seven and a half to where it was um, a couple years ago, and they've made that permanent. Um, the federal moratorium on evictions has been extended to March. Actually, as of yesterday, uh, these slides weren't updated because last night they actually extended this to June 2021. So landlords can no, can't evict um, tenants for not paying their, their, uh, their, their rent uh, until June of 2021. And so that, that could be a big thing if you're a business owner um, and you're either renting or renting you're renting from or renting to somebody. Um, charitable deductions, um, a lot of times if you don't itemize on your uh, tax return, you can't take advantage of any charity, charitable deductions that, or contributions that you've given for tax purposes. This allows $600 above the line um, that anybody can, can take as a charitable deduction, whether you itemize your tax return or not. Um, next slide, please, Felicia. Um, you can give actually up to 100% of your AGI if you give ch charitable cash contributions. So effectively, if you give cash, you can reduce to charities, you can reduce your taxable income to zero. That's the change. It's usually 60%. Um, this is something that's interesting for your employees. And if you're, uh, if you're looking to implement some benefit programs, so flex spending accounts that are often provided through your employer or by you, you as business owners, a lot of times at the end of the year, um, if you haven't used those funds, you lose them, okay? In this new uh, stimulus, those funds that are not used in 2020 can actually be carried forward to 2021 and 2022. 
which is uh, which could be a big deal for people that haven't used their FSA money this year um, moving forward. Um, a couple of things that the stimulus did not do um, for 2021, um, you still are likely to have to uh, do your uh, achieve your required minimum distribution requirements. And so um, there that may change. But right now, there's nothing that says in 2021, you won't have to take your RMDs. Um, so and it also does not it didn't extend um, any student loan relief provisions that were in uh, the, the the original CARES Act, and so um, th so that's something that they thought may be in the new stimulus that was not. Um, and then the potential third round is 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 already in the works. That would include you know an additional fourteen hundred dollars a person in um, in uh, in payments. Um, so the the stimulus payments. It would also include additional um, uh, 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 unemployment benefits. And then it would also uh, potentially uh, increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which is very uh, huge if you're a small business owner. That is, those are some of the key provisions that are in the proposed next stimulus, which uh, the goal is to have that voted on by uh, March 14th of 2021. So that's something you need to keep an eye on. Um, and Adam, if you'll go through, go forward a couple more slides here. So, you know, all that to say, that's some of the, the, the things that are in the new stimulus bill. Um, and it's kind of some of the things that are on the horizon and that'll continue to change. Um, we, we definitely are keeping our eye on it. We think you should too. Um, but just regardless of what happens with the legislation, what are some things that you can do as a small business owner to plan for your next emergency? So when we're preparing financial blueprints that Greg alluded to for our business owner clients, and for our, uh, our individual clients, we use what we call worst case planning, okay? And so we use lower than expected rates of return on investments, higher than expected in inflation, things like that to kind of stress test um, the plan. So we say, hey, if we, can, if we can operate in this environment, we feel really good that we can operate in a, in a normal environment, okay? And so as a business owner, use COVID as a real life worst case stress test for your business plan. You know, what are the challenges? Take an honest inventory. What are the things that really knocked you off your feet? What are the things that you were you adapted well? Maybe it's time to integrate some of those things into your normal policies and procedures and develop those policies and procedures based on, okay, this is probably one of the worst things that we're going to face maybe in the life of our business. So really take an honest, deep inventory of what worked, what didn't, and move forward with that. You know, we tell all of our individual clients, build an emergency fund. In case the worst happens, you'll have liquid cash that you can turn to and, and go to um, in the event of an emergency. So, uh, you know, once, once profits normalize, once we get past this, um, you know, it'd be a good idea to build a cash emergency fund to make sure that if something happens again like this, that you are in a position where you can weather the storm. A good rule of thumb for businesses, it's hard to put a rule of thumb on businesses um, because uh, if you'll go back, Adam, to the next slide or previous slide, if you put uh, a good rule of thumb is 10 to 30% of your annual revenues in cash. Okay. So um, that's, it's very specific from business to business, depending on what type of business you're in. Um, that's where that number really makes sense. If you're in a manufacturing business, you may need more cash on hand to buy raw materials and things like that. If you're a service-based business, you may need less. Um, implement a process to evaluate new investments 
uh, in your business, okay? If you have excess cash, should I buy a new machine? Should I buy more inventory? Should I do this? Should I do that? And then really look at it in the lens of, okay, if I do that, what is the risk versus the reward? And what happens if the worst happens? Is that going to hold me back? Is that going to be an anchor? Or is that still, am I still going to be able to use that to move forward? Um, and then, you know, really worst case planning, like we mentioned, just build that into your forecast. Uh, underestimate revenues, overestimate expenses, build those unexpected expenses into your P&Ls so that when you look forward, you say, okay, if the worst happens, like we do with our business owners when we're building financial blueprints, if the worst case happens, we still look pretty good. So we feel good that we can weather the storm. Um, next slide, please, Adam. Um, so calculate and understand how much it really costs to run your business. You know, bare bones. What is it that it costs to keep the doors open? What adjustments can you make? Be really honest with yourself and take into account fixed cost and debt management, things you can't get away from. And then know that number and build your emergency fund potentially around that. Um, continually evaluate your operating expenses and forecasts. In times of economic uncertainty, when your competitive landscape changes, like Greg said, businesses change all the time. Stay on top of this. Understand what the evolution of your business is in the competitive landscape and adapt and then build that into your P&Ls. And then this is a good time to review your business documents, operating agreements, insurance coverage, debt arrangements, policies and procedures. Because of COVID, a lot of this stuff had to be reviewed. A lot of times we look at this stuff and kind of say, oh, well, we got that in place. We're good to go. We'll never look at it again. This shows you that those things are really important and that we need to re revisit those constantly um, when, when you have a small business or you're, you're, uh, you're operating in, a, in the ever-changing environment that we're in uh, at this point. So that's just some tips on kind of what to do in case uh, the unexpected happens again or if we stay in this COVID environment for longer. But uh, that's all I have. I will kick it back to Greg. I think we have a couple more polling questions, and then I'll let him introduce um, the other guys to speak about the, uh, the markets. Thank you, Jay. Uh, actually, uh, you and Jay did a fantastic job, and uh, thanks for uh, condensing that down. That's a lot of information. And it also, let me, let me just share with you what's happened here. You've just witnessed a scenario where in the worst case environment, COVID hits, our clients, business owners had done worst case planning prior to COVID hitting. We had all that information. They said, hey, how do I participate in PPP? And we were able to then take them by the hand, walk them through that, as well as coordinate with any CPA and others that needed to take place. And you guys have done an awesome job with that but it, it, it gives a great example of the democratized family office and making sure that whether you work with someone like Five Plan Partners or have an advisory board that can coordinate, it's important in your business to have that. So well done. Uh, that also said, uh, I now uh, want to bring on board, I'll let them start setting up, uh, Bobby Norman and Adam Van Zandt. Uh, Bobby is uh, Senior Vice President here. He's our Managing Director. He's a CFP uh, and works with me on Portfolio Strategies. Adam Van Zandt is Vice President. Uh, he also works with me on uh, Portfolio Strategies and Adam has his BFA, Behavioral Finance Advisor. Both these gentlemen also have their AIF, Accredited Investment Fiduciary, meaning that we always put our clients first. 
we have a fiduciary responsibility. Uh, great credentials and brilliant minds. So, you know, what you've seen here is changing business models, also the importance of planning in your business and being ready for the unexpected or being with people who can bring knowledge to the table for you. And then also from a standpoint, we're getting ready now to talk economics, markets, you know, economy uh, across the board. And so before we do, though, uh, Bobby and Adam, as you're setting up there, I want to ask two more questions. Come on, folks, we need your insight and wisdom as well. It's not a one-way street here. Do you think the market will end higher or lower than it started in 2021? Please give us your vote. We'd like to know how you think, what you're seeing out there. Got a couple more coming in here. Okay. Like oh, eighty-three percent higher. I like optimism. That's good. We also, you know, if you look at the vaccines and everything taking place, a lot of positives taking taking place in this economy, and we're hoping in your business the same thing's happening. In addition to that, our next question survey says: Do you feel that the success of your business has tracked the S and P five hundred index and general financial markets? Yes or no. So 83% of you said, we see the markets going higher. Do you feel that same way in relation to your business? Is it a reflection of your business and what you're seeing in the economy? Waiting on a couple more here. Okay. All right, let's share these results. 40% say yes, 60% say no, that's interesting. Very, very interesting. So with that said, uh, I'm going to ask Adam and uh, Bobby to now take charge and talk to us you know, about market anxiety and innovation. And, and uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you. And we're really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Yeah, Greg, I really appreciate it. So once again, my name is Adam Vansant. I work on the Portfolio Strategies team alongside with Bobby Norman and Greg Powell and also Trey Booth on our team. So today I want to talk about navigating 2021 and market anxiety. Now there is a theme wrapped around anxiety that there's a certainty to uncertainty. And what I mean by that is you can't estimate what your health is going to be like, what your business may turn out to be like. So Greg, I kind of want to cede the floor back to you. And I think Greg does a wonderful job. And one of the processes that we incorporate here at Five Plan Partners about how we define anxiety. Thanks, Adam. Uh, in the room of dreams in the Your Financial House process, we, we have a, a process there uh, called ASK, A-S-K. And it stands for anxiety, strengths, and knowledge. And we want to ask questions about you, your family, your business. And we want to understand all the anxieties you have and how we can help take those off the table. We want to understand what strengths you have that we can free you up to utilize those strengths, to be more passionate about what you do. You'll be more successful. And the K is knowledge. What knowledge can we bring to the table, either from our organization or partner, you know, to partner with someone other else, some other professional to bring that knowledge and eliminate anxieties and free up those strengths. Now that said, 
if I had everybody in the room together here, I might say to you, how do you define anxiety? Give me a quick definition. I like to say it's worry with anticipation. You're worrying about something that hasn't happened. Our definition of anxiety is by doing the Your Financial House process, the financial blueprint, and coordinating that in your business as well as your portfolio strategies. Our definition of anxieties becomes those events that nine times out of 10 will never occur once you have the knowledge that gives you confidence to confront the fear. And so today, hopefully we're giving you that knowledge or at least the stepping stones to start researching more, to eliminate the anxieties in your business, whether it's changing the business model, utilizing technology, getting a plan in place, designing that financial blueprint. And then here we are now with Adam and Bobby to talk about what strategies you can also implement with your money in the markets and, and what's going on in the economy. Thank you, Greg. And that kind of goes to our next point. You know, as you can see on the screen, where is your greatest risk? You know, is this internal? Is this with your business? Is this with your competitors? It's important to look around you in your industries and sectors of the market to see, you know, where can you innovate? Where can you be innovative and use technology and apply that to your certain business standards? You know, we're not only seeing an evolving business strategy and business model throughout the country and state, but we're also seeing an evolving market as well. And that's one thing we wanted to talk about a little bit further. One question we like to ask is if money were no option and you knew you couldn't fail, what decisions would you make? Now I want you to think about that question. I want you to write down that question. And I know that you're not going to answer it right away, but typically the first thing that comes to mind is the right thing. So one thing that we want to go back to as well is both Jay and Ashley, you know, they did extensive research on their side of looking up PPP program and the stimulus and presenting that to you. You know, they incorporate that in their plans with business owners as well as individuals. So it's really, really important to build your portfolio back to the plan, whether for your business or for your individual self. Also, it's important to plan for long term. And what we mean by that is retirement planning. Does your business currently provide a 401k? Does it provide a 403b? Are you as an individual contributing to a 401k or any sort of retirement plan? We like to look at different options on the tables because, of course, there are stipulations to contributing to certain retirement accounts. And we take that in consideration in looking at the markets and going back to your plan. So also, I want to say it's very important to be innovative, as I mentioned earlier, and Greg kind of on, touched on earlier, and try not to make knee-jerk reactions based off of motion. So when we look at the markets and we see a lot of volatility happen, as in last year during COVID, you know, we saw a large downturn. A lot of people that kept their money in the markets and put it, as we refer to the smart money philosophy. So if we're keeping our money in smart places and diversifying our portfolios, like we do here at Five Plan Partners, you know, people were more confident in going to these different accounts that they set up, whether it's their savings account, you know, they had a good structure to their business, as we talked about earlier with Ashley and Jay, as well as life insurance, anything like that, in case any health situa situations occurred during COVID. 
So it's very important to keep your money diversified. And that's kind of what I mean by that. The last thing I want to touch on is where do you envision yourself, your business in five, 10, 15 years? Now, I know this will take a little bit to kind of write down. And as I know, you're already business owners in this uh, webinar with us. So it's really important to kind of revisit these goals. You know, are these still the same trajectory? So we have five, 10, 15 years that we're looking out. You know, is it, it's very, very important to go back and reevaluate what's important to you, what's important for your business. You know, there's a certain risk tolerance that people are willing to take. Has that changed due to COVID? And we want to manage that back to the plan. You know, there's a lot of changing dynamics in the country and our state today in certain industries and seeing how that impacts you. So that's very important to keep in mind when investing. We always want to look back and make sure we're doing it in a sense that accord, coordinates with your plan. So, Bobby, I want to go to you to talk about some analysis that we look at on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I want to go over how we analyze the markets, the economy, and investments. And, and we really start with our four pillars of investing, which are price, people, performance, and process. Most business owners have a similar way of analyzing their business. We think our four-pillar analysis is a great framework for business owners in helping them analyze their business as well. So, First pillar is people, first P, uh, people. These are the fund managers and talent of workforce. We think that consistent success is built on good leadership and workforce. Uh, the second pillar, the second P, process. Uh, process, how fund managers invest. We think uh, a process provides consistency and we're looking for an investment strategy that gives a competitive advantage and allows a certain fund or business to outperform over the long term. Uh, the third pillar is price. Does the price of the investment offer good value? Does the cost of the investment match the performance? We think that performance that the investor enjoys is actually net of cost. And so we work to control those costs as much as possible. Obviously, controlling cost is obviously a big part of any successful business. Uh, fourth and, and uh, not last, but here, but fourth pillar is performance. This is what the investor actually experiences. While performance may seem like the most important P, we think it's only a result of the people, the process, and the price. And so we, of course, also look at the overall economy, industry conditions, and corporate balance sheets, such as earnings, expenses, assets, liabilities. Uh, we're also big believers in technical analysis uh, and statistical trends in the market. So using the S&P 500 as our market indicator, we're able to analyze short, short-term, intermediate, and long-term resistance and support levels. And so when stocks break higher through resistance, that can mean the stocks can go higher. When stocks break down through support, that sometimes means it might be a good time to sell out uh, of the position to protect the downside. So uh, just a quick analysis there. But I also want to say that we send our clients and our business partners vlogs and research multiple times a week. So if you're interested in getting our information, uh, please reach out to Felicia Ludlam, our director of business integration, she will make sure that you are added to that list uh, to get all of our information and research. So, um, but yeah, in summary, we wanted to uh, kind of open the floor up to some Q&A here, uh, see if anybody has any questions about all the information that we've shared. And uh, like it's been mentioned before, if you have questions about all the information that you've heard today, please don't hesitate to reach out to us.
All right. And as Greg and Bobby both have mentioned here, um, we do a lot of research and social media put out things um, just to educate our business owner clients and people who follow our investors insights. So we do Monday, Thursdays, Tuesdays, um, and some stuff on Fridays and Sundays as well. And so if you're interested in that information, uh, reach out to me, uh, Felicia Ludlum at F-L-U-D-L-U-M at fiveplanpartners.com. I will get you signed up for that. Um, I will also follow up this, this afternoon with an email to you guys with um, just a couple of bullet points that the guys have went over today, just to kind of refresh and have quick links to get to the things um, that are most important. We do these events all the time again. Um, so if you're interested in being put on the list for me to send out those invites to, just reach out to me and I would be happy to put you on that list. Also, Greg's book, Better, Richer, Fuller, it's very insightful for the individual as well as the business owner. Um, if you would like a copy of that book, also call the office or reach out to myself and I will happily mail you one. Um, is, is anybody else have any questions, Tanya? Has any came through to you? I just want to again say thank you. Um, Mary sent her apologies um, over text. She she um, is still in a meeting, so um, I'm excited. She asked if we were recording it, and I said yes. And um, I'm excited that if you, as soon as you guys can send out a link to it, then we will get it out to all of our Main Street directors to share with their businesses, and we will share it on the internal. Um, communication site on our main street page as well. So awesome. Uh, well, I do we'll have one more polling question. If um, you guys don't mind here, we love feedback. We love to know how we did. So tell us from your perspective, what you felt about it. Um, we're always trying to improve here. Thank you so much, Tanya, for the opportunity today. Guys, you did a phenomenal job. Sorry, I dropped off. My power went out, but our backup plan worked beautifully. Thank you, Adam, for taking over. Uh, you did a great job. So um, again, thank you to everybody. Um, it looks like we did an excellent job today, guys. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah. Thank All you. All right. So, everybody, have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Too. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you all.